If you have a Bible this morning, please turn to the book of Ruth. We are at the end of Ruth. If you need a pew Bible, uh, they're right there in front of you, the, blue, uh, the, the black ones. Uh, we would be on page 220 or so. And if you're using the red ones, it's page 185. We are finishing the book of Ruth this week. And for those of you who like to know what's coming and like to read ahead, next week we're going to start a series on Galatians to kick off the fall. So that's back in the New Testament. So if you want to go ahead and start reading that, we'll do Galatians next. But today we're finishing up this uh, four-week excursion into the wonderful story of Ruth. Um, Now this has been a a really good story. I've enjoyed uh, going through it with you. You remember, though, that this story, even though it's called Ruth, it's not primarily about Ruth. Uh, That is, one of the major arcs of the story, the big theme of it, is the story of Naomi, the story of how she is uh, taken through an experience of incredible bitterness and and loss in chapter 1. Remember, she had a husband and two sons, and they both died. Uh, They had a a life for themselves in uh, in Bethlehem, but there was a famine, and they had to leave their homes and, and go to a foreign land, and then her, her husband and her sons died, and she, she experienced great loss. And at the end of chapter 1, she was devastated by it. But they returned uh, to Bethlehem. Ruth stuck with her. They went to Bethlehem, and, uh, and Ruth was the instrument, one of the instruments of redeeming Naomi, of bringing her back from the pit of, of bitterness and despair. Um, Ruth did the next right thing. She, she went out gleaning. And as she went out gleaning, God had a plan for her, and he lined her up with Boaz, and Boaz was another instrument of redemption, providing great generosity and care and provision for Ruth and for Naomi. And she gleaned there for a couple months, and then Naomi, coming out of her shell, has a plan, and she tells Ruth, I want you to go propose marriage to Boaz. So she does. She risks it all, and Boaz accepts. Then you remember at the end of chapter 3 and beginning of 4, there was another obstacle. That is, there's another redeemer who could marry Ruth beforehand, so Boaz risks it all and makes the offer to the other redeemer, but God works it out so that Boaz and Ruth get to be married. And we saw last week that they have this happy ending. In chapter 4, verse 13, they, they get married, and they have the child, and, I don't know, they lived happily ever after. Uh, today I want to look more closely at the very end of this story. I want to look a little more closely at this happy ending. I'm going to look at verse 13 through the end of the chapter. And here's what I'm going to promise to you as we look at this. Um, what I'm going to try to do for you is, is explain this passage in such a way that you walk away today knowing how that you can find the happy ending even in the darkest circumstances. Okay, this is what I'm trying to do today. So I'll just lay all my cards on the table. As we look at Ruth's happy ending and Naomi's happy ending, I want to try to help you, as I've been helped this week, to develop the skill to be able to see the happy ending even when things don't seem like they're turning out right. Okay? So I'll, we're going to try to find out how do you see the happy ending even in the darkest circumstances. Let's begin, though, by reading our passage, Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. 
And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The first thing I want to focus on this morning is to show you how happy Naomi's ending is. Okay, this, this story, remember, it's a story of Naomi, the story of her redemption. She's gone through incredible loss, and here at the end of the book, we see that Naomi gets incredible restoration, incredible redemption. Her happy ending becomes um, very obvious to us. Uh, I want me to see just how all these tragedies that Naomi experienced have been fulfilled. They've been reversed. Uh, you may remember when we looked at chapter 1, I pointed out just some of the tragedies that Naomi went through. Uh, one of the first ones was the, the tragedy of famine. There was, there was famine in the land. That was one of the problems. Uh, and so they had to leave their land and they had to go try to find food in another place. Well, well, look how that tragedy of famine has been redeemed. Uh, already in the story, we've seen that Boaz has been a means of providing for them. He, he gave them the grain that they needed. But he's not the focus anymore in chapter 4. The focus is on this grandson that's been born. And in verse, four, or verse 15, they say about him, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher in your old age. Uh, this is Naomi's social security, right? I mean, you get that. There, there, was no, uh, there was no public safety net in the time. There was no um, you know, social security program. There was no Medicare. None of that stuff. The way that you were provided for in your old age was that you had children who grew up and took care of you. And now Naomi, who'd, who'd lost her kids and therefore lost her safety net, has now been given a new grandson. And, and they say about him, he's going to be the one who nourishes you, who provides for you in your old age. See, that, that fear of death through starvation, that was a very real fear when famine struck the land. That fear's been alleviated because now there's Obed. And of course, there's Boaz. And God is going to provide for Naomi in that way. Another one of the tragedies that Naomi experienced in the first chapter, um, so the first couple of verses, it was, a, it was a great tragedy, it was the loss of her husband and her sons. Now that, that's a huge loss, I mean devastating. But what we see at the end of this book is that that personal tragedy is in some way healed by a new family. Um, now I, I don't want to minimize the pain that she experienced in losing her husband and her sons, that's real, that doesn't go away. But in some way it's healed by the blessing that she experiences of a new family. Part of her new family is Ruth. Right? Remember in chapter 1, Ruth said to her, I'm not just your daughter-in-law, I am committed to you. I am going where you're going, I'm, I'm going to be there with you. And she demonstrated that faithfulness throughout the book. So Ruth, and, and the women recognize, Ruth, they say to her, is better than seven sons. Uh, verse 15, you know, seven being like the ultimate number of sons, and, and of course valuing sons as the ultimate ones who could care for a mother and being valuable. She says, Ruth is better than seven sons. She's the best family that you could have. But in addition to Ruth, she's got this new grandbaby. And, and, I, and I love it. Y you may remember it in the beginning of the, of the book, in, in chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, it talks about the death of her sons. It says, both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And I pointed out that the Hebrew word there for sons was not the normal word that you would use for grown sons. 
which is what they were. It was the word that you'd use for young boys. And it, it gave a sense of, of emotional punch there that Naomi was left without her boys. She lost her, her little boys. They were gone. Well, that same word shows up one more time in Ruth, and it's here at the very end. It's there when it talks about the birth of Obed in verse 16. It says, Naomi took the child, it's the same word there, took the, the boy, the little boy, and she laid him on her lap and she became his nurse. So we get this, this picture here of, of Naomi, who's lost her boys. Now she has, an, she has a grandbaby. Not, not a one-to-one replacement, of course, but, but a, a real healing. I mean, you folks, th- we've got a number of grandparents here. You know how you feel about grandchildren. Now how much more would you value that grandchild when you thought before that you had no hope of having grandchildren? When, when your own kids were gone, when you were completely bereft, but now you've got a grandbaby. And, and she, you just see this picture of Naomi taking the child onto her lap, holding him to her chest, and, and loving on him, and, and experiencing just a, a healing and a release, a, a feeling of everything is not lost. It, the Lord is providing a new hope, a new family, new healing in my life. The other thing that's very interesting in the words it's used to describe Obed in verse 15, I say he shall be called a restorer of life, which is literally, uh, the the word there is he will bring you back to life. Again, it's the same word that's used at the beginning of chapter 1. It talks about Naomi comes back to Bethlehem and she says, the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Well, now that's completely flipped on its head, and she can say, in some sense, the Lord is bringing me back to life. I was empty, but now I've got this child. I've got this new family, and the Lord is bringing me back to life. It's a very happy ending for her. Another one of the problems that Naomi faced, another one of those tragedies, we saw it in chapter 1, verse 1. So this whole story takes place in the time of the judges. right? You remember what the time of the judges was like? You can just flip back a few pages and read the last verse in Judges. Judges 21-25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So there was tremendous political unrest. It was horrible. It was not a place you wanted to live in. There was no ruler. There was no one providing any sort of structure or accountability or justice. It was hard to live in a place like that. So this tragedy of political unrest, though, we get a hint at least that that's going to give way to a king. See, this is a part of the happy ending that's not completely finished in Naomi's life, but you read the, the genealogy here at the end of verse 17. This Obed had a son named Jesse. This Jesse had a son named David. And you know who David is. David is the great king of Israel, the one who established uh, the nation as a, as a dynasty, as a powerful land where there was rule and structure and order and righteousness. See, part of the happy ending of Naomi actually feeds into the future where it's going to be a, an amazing turnaround for the country as a whole. See, that Naomi, in this story, you read it through, and she gets a happy ending. It's, it's a wonderful story. That's why we like it. We like stories that end with happy endings because we like to think that that's how life works. We, we like a picture of life that says uh, things might be dark for a while, but eventually everything will turn out fine. Does life work like that? Is that the right application from this story? Naomi 
got a happy ending. Therefore, your story will have a happy ending. I'm going to give you one last illustration from the Olympics. I've just been so rich for illustrations lately, but it, it's over, so I'll, I'll try to stop this week. But there are two um, uh, very vocal Christians, at, at least two, but I'm going to pick two. Two very vocal Christian female Olympic athletes uh, this year who are, who are um, open about their faith and, and very uh, excited to be a Christian and to be representing their country in the Olympics. One of them was Gabby Douglas. Another one is Lolo Jones. Okay. Gabby Douglas, uh, you may remember she was the one. She's a gymnast. She's 16 years old. Uh, she, you know, she went to the Olympics. A lot of pressure on her. Uh, interesting thing about her, she actually, when she trains in Des Moines, she goes to an evangelical free church. So, all right, go you free. Um, she's a, and, and, and she's, a, she's a great Christian. And so she, uh, she competed in the, um, in the gymnastics competition, and she won. She was the all-around competition gold medalist. So she won that. And afterwards, uh, she said in an interview, uh, I give all the glory to God. It's, it's kind of a win-win situation. The glory goes up to him and the blessings fall down on me. And then shortly after that, she tweeted Psalm 103.2. She said, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. That's a happy ending, right? That's great. She goes to the Olympics. Uh, she, she competes, first African-American uh, woman to win the all-around competition. Just wonderful story. Gets to give great glory to God. That's what we like, the happy ending, right? Christians always win gold medals, right? Uh, well, no. Uh, there's Lolo Jones. So she was a hurdler, and she had a, a really a good potential to be a Naomi story, much more than, than Gabby, because in Beijing... Uh, Lola was uh, favored to win. She was actually winning the race at the ninth hurdle. I think there's 10. Is that right? I think there's 10 hurdles. So she's winning the race at the ninth hurdle, but she tripped and ended up at fourth. So it doesn't get the, the medal place. Um, so she's, she's worked really hard the last four years. You know, she's trusting God. She's working hard. She gets to the Olympics. She's very excited about it. She runs the race, and she gets fourth. She gets fourth. No, no medal for fourth, in case you, you missed all that. Um, so later she tweeted, and in her uh, tweet she said that night after losing the race, uh, I'm in my room singing Desert Song by Hillsong. It's on repeat. Lord Jesus, please comfort me, guide me, and heal my broken heart. So two Christians, two professing Christians, uh, working hard, hoping for the happy ending. One of them gets the gold medal, one of them gets fourth, and is crying in her hotel room with a broken heart. Okay, so what do we do with that? Where's, how do we make sense of that? Our you know, are happy endings, is the message of Ruth that happy endings are only for some people? That is, Naomi might have a happy ending, but maybe not me. Uh, Gabby Douglas might get a happy ending, but not Lolo Jones. H how, do you, how do you make sense of that? H you know, what, like I said at the beginning, how do you find a happy ending even when the circumstances seem like they're dark? Okay, well, here's the payoff. It's actually in the genealogy. Okay, that, that part at the end of Ruth that you wanted to skip like with the crazy names. I even messed up one <laughs> when I was reading it. The payoff is, is in the genealogy because the genealogy here reminds us that the story isn't over. Okay, there's more to the story than just the story. There's more than just this little story about Ruth and Naomi. There's a bigger story and that bigger story has some things that you need to remember so that you can remember and find the happy ending in the situation you find yourselves in. 
The, the first thing that this genealogy reminds us of in this bigger story is that you've got to remember the gospel. Okay, you, you've got to remember the gospel. Uh, genealogies in the Bible, um, they're not just there so that you can um, fall asleep when you're tired, when you, when you can't go to sleep at night. They're not just there to, uh, to, to bore you. Uh, th- they function in the Bible with a specific purpose, and, and one of those purposes is to, to, to act as like a shorthand summary of the story. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible and you, you know the story, then when someone recites a genealogy, in your mind you go back through all those events. It's not just a list of names. It's, a, it's a, like a table of contents, a reference to all the events that have happened in the past. And so here we get, at the end of Ruth, uh, the author saying, remember, there's a whole lot of stuff going on besides this one little story. Uh, he starts his genealogy in 18 with Perez, uh, but actually, back up in the chapter in verses 11 and 12, we had a couple people before that mentioned. In verse 11, he talks about Rachel and Leah. Remember Rachel and Leah? They were the, the wives of Jacob, the, the ones who became the mothers of 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons was Judah, who gets mentioned in verse 12. Uh, you don't have to flip here, but it's important to know that, that Judah is a key figure in the Bible. In Genesis 49, there's a great promise that's made about him and his descendants. It's Genesis 49.10. This comes when Jacob is blessing his sons on his deathbed. Here's what he says to Judah. He says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. He says that the scepter will not depart from Judah. It's a promise from Jacob, you know, from, from God through Jacob, to Judah saying that your descendants is going to be a royal tribe, the ruling scepter. You're, you're going to be the king. Out of your line is going to be one who rules. Uh, you're, th- you're the royal line, Judah. Okay? So that's what's supposed to be in your mind when you hear Judah. And then you, you trace down those descendants in, in verse 18 of chapter 4 of Ruth. It says, so Judah had Perez, and Perez had Hezron, and Hezron had Ram, who had Aminadab, who had Nashon, who had Salmon, who had Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse, who had David. And you see, there it is. There it is. There's the king. There's the king that was promised to Judah, the one who's going to reign on the throne forever. So there's a whole lot of story flowing in to the story of Ruth. And that story uh, has a little climax here in the birth of David. Now, D- David got a promise of his, of his own. You guys know that? In, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, The story marches on into David's life. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, this is what God says. It says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's a promise from God to David. So a reiteration and a, and a more firm promise now given to David that he's going to have a descendant and a line of descendants, in fact, a, a house that will last forever. So he's going to have a king in his line who rules forever, will never be, uh, never, be take, never be deposed, never lose his throne. Of course, the story doesn't stop with David, right? Flip to Matthew 1, you see another genealogy. This genealogy is great. It just summarizes the Old Testament there in shorthand for you. 
In Matthew chapter 1, you see Matthew begins his gospel by saying this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he runs through all of Old Testament history, beginning with Abraham, hitting Judah, hitting Ruth and Boaz, hitting Obed and Jesse and David, and running all the way down until we get to Jesus. You see, in that little genealogy at the end of Ruth, you have in seed form a, a link to the entire story of the Bible. Everything flowing into that, and everything flowing out, leading up to Jesus Christ. I mean, do you recognize why, why the story of Ruth is so important? If Ruth hadn't gleaned in Boaz's field, Jesus would not have been born. Right? I mean, if, if Ruth had gone to the wrong field that one day, and gleaned in, uh, in, in Joshua's field, or, or in, you know, in, in, in some other guy's field. She gleaned in somebody else's field, didn't meet up with Boaz, they didn't get married, they didn't have Obed. Jesus doesn't exist. And you're still dead in your sins. Oh, but it did happen, didn't it? God worked it out so that Ruth and Boaz would, would, would get together, and they would get married, and they would have a son. And he superintended all of history, leading up to this moment when Jesus would be born, and then when Jesus would live a perfect life, the life that we should have lived. And then he would offer himself on the cross to die in our place. And he would die, bearing the sins of the world on himself, and then the third day rise from the dead, and then ascend into heaven to be with God the Father, where he will then reign on the throne of David for all eternity and return to earth to make things right. See, this is, this is the happy ending. This is the happy ending for Lolo Jones. This is the real happy ending for Gabby Douglas. This is the happy ending for you and for me, is that no matter what the circumstances are, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, and he reconciled you to God. Now, I, I don't know what you're thinking right now. I, I don't know uh, if you think uh, you're supposed to say that because you're a pastor, um, but that doesn't really, doesn't really help. Um, I mean, you might be thinking, I mean, maybe Lolo's thinking, um, that's, that's nice, but I still got fourth place, and I'm still sad, and it just, I don't, it doesn't do anything for me. Or maybe you think, that's nice, but I still have cancer, and my story's not happy, I don't care what you say. Right, or, or I lost my job, and it's not a happy ending. Or this person doesn't like me. Or, um, or our country's on the wrong track. Or I just don't have personal fulfillment. So, you know, yeah, it's nice that you say that about Jesus, but that doesn't mean anything to me. Okay. If that doesn't mean anything to you, then you just don't get it. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to just give you a, a hallmark answer to say, oh, just think about Jesus and everything will be fine. I'm saying, you, if you don't get it, that's a, that's a problem. If you are sitting here thinking, yeah, it's nice that Jesus died for my sins, but what I would really like is to have a gold medal. Or it's nice that Jesus died for my sins and reconciled me to God, but what I'd really like is to have a better job. Like, if that's what you're thinking, then you don't understand what it means to have Christ die for your sin and reconcile you to God. Right? Just listen to Paul in Philippians. Philippians 3, verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. You see, you see there is nothing better objectively, you know, empirically, just categorically, there is nothing better than knowing Jesus. So if you still think, oh, that, I, I can't have a happy ending because I don't have X. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. If you don't get that, then you need to meditate on it. You need to, you need to pray. You need to look at your Bible. You need to talk to somebody else. You need to, you need to make that penny drop so that you get it because Jesus Christ is worth more than anything in the world. And if you're sitting there and you say, I have Jesus, but I don't have a happy ending, then you're missing it. And you need to work hard to find out what you're missing because this is the greatest treasure in the universe. There's another thing that we can remember as well. The other thing we can remember is what I call on on your outline the, the happiest of endings. Because it, the story of the Bible doesn't stop with the gospel. I mean, it's, it's central. The, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the absolute core uh, of the message of the Bible, of our faith. But the wonderful thing is that it's not the end. Okay? You keep reading and you get to the end in, in Revelation. You, you, you get uh, the, the real ending. I mean, up to this point, in, in your life, in Naomi's life, all the things that we call happy endings, they're really just happy middles, right? Happy interludes. They're, they're not the end. They're, they're the middle. And so we have moments where things are happy and that's good. Gabby Douglas is 16. That's not the end for her, right? She got the gold medal, but there's a lot of life left. So when you actually look at the end, we see that there is an incredible happy ending in store for us. And it's important to keep this big picture in view. So Revelation 21, just let me read you some of my favorite verses in Scripture. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. See, this is the happy ending. This is the, the ultimate happy ending. This is the other thing we keep in mind. So if, you've, if you remember the gospel and you believed in Jesus, you have Jesus, and that is wonderful. There's nothing better than that. In addition to that, buttressing your faith, you've got this great promise that in the end, everything will be made right. Because, you know, I mean, we need to take Naomi's loss seriously. Right? She lost her husband. She lost her sons. That's real pain. That didn't go away because she got Ruth. It didn't go away because she had a, a grandson. No, it provided healing for her. It helped her out. But, but she still had that loss. She still had that pain. There are scars that we will carry for the rest of our lives. Okay? I'm not saying when you become a Christian, when you love Jesus, that all of a sudden all the hurt goes away. But there's a promise that you don't carry those scars forever. You, you just carry them for the rest of your life. You don't carry them forever. The promise in Revelation 21 is that Jesus says, I am making all things new. 
I hope I've delivered on the promise I made at the beginning. I, I hope you see, maybe you don't believe me yet, but I hope you see at least what I'm saying, that in, in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, right, circumstances will change. Sometimes life is really easy. Sometimes it's hard. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, I want you to see you can hold on to these two things and, 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 and really genuinely call it a happy ending. You can have joy in suffering. Okay? Read Philippians homework this week. Just read Philippians. You can have joy in suffering. Where do you get that joy? By believing the gospel. Jesus is enough for you. And believing that even though this life may be hard right now, in the end, God will make all things new. See, I told you Ruth wasn't just a love story. It's not just something that should be relegated to ladies' Bible studies. Uh, it, is, it is intensely practical for our lives. Where is God in everyday life? And how are we supposed to react? God is there. He is right there. When you experience hard times and suffering, remember the story's not over. Just trust God. Keep doing the next right thing. Wait to see what he will do. And always remember, no matter what the circumstances, Jesus loves you. You have him because you believed in the gospel. And you have the hope of a world in which all things will be made new. We're going to close in prayer now. And we're going to transition to a time of celebration of the Lord's Supper. I'll talk a little more about that after we pray. But let's, let's close now with prayer. Father, it is so good. I love the privilege of being able to meditate and to, uh, to expound the truths of your gospel. It fills my heart with joy to just think about and explain and, and to marvel with one another that you love us and that we have this incredible, sure hope. Uh, Father, I pray now that as we move to the Lord's table that you would use that as well to strengthen our hearts. Um, use that to encourage us Remind us of the great gift that we have in you, the joy that we have. Uh, and again, fill our hearts with joy, no matter our circumstances, that we would all right now believe in you and have joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.